Hey everyone, this week we're talking about Copper Fox Distillery in Virginia, barley malting, and the whiskey tasting wheels. If you like what you're hearing or have suggestions, be sure to visit us at www.whiskeyqueens.com, that's with a K-E-Y, and let us know. And also feel free to click that support button and become a sponsor. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the show. Good. good one welcome ladies and gentlemen to episode four it is episode four we kept with it we did what do you got in your class another so obviously paul's pre-gaming this one since he's on a his little other. bit a little bit i Just didn't have enough time to pre-game properly like i intended to what you got Ah, this week and what we're going to talk about this week from my perspective right uh, nick will tell you a little bit more about his but the exciting tasting that we're going to talk about this week, not the Nix isn't exciting, is uh, <laughs> Copper Fox Original American Single Malt Whiskey. And it's exciting because I actually went to the distillery for a tasting this weekend over Labor Day while I was out um, spending the weekend at a friend's, some friend's lake house in Northern Virginia. So that is what I am drinking today. We'll get a little more into it. Uh, as the episode progresses. What are you drinking, Nicholas? So I'm trying to trying to line up with you a little bit. Since you're drinking, and not to give too much away, but since you're drinking a whiskey that is not necessarily a scotch officially, but it is in line with scotches, I actually busted out the bottle you gave me of Oban 14. So I'm drinking a true scotch this week. Yes, and ladies and gentlemen, Nick pronounced it correctly. It is Oban, not Oban. I hope you're listening, Beth, and you never, ever forget how to pronounce that thing. So why are you drinking this week? Oh, man. One, because I like to drink. Um, <laughs> no, I think I say that every time you ask me. Uh, I am drinking this week, one, because I'm excited about this new whiskey and talking about the distillery tour, not tour, but tasting and all that jazz that I did this past weekend over Labor Day. And two, because I am fucking tired and sore. And why am I tired and sore? I know you are asking, Nick, and everyone is thinking about it, is because this weekend at my friend's lake house, I attempted to try wakeboarding for the first time. Uh, failed miserably. I was going to say, can you define attempting? Miserably. I never got up <laughs> failing miserably. Uh, but my body is substantially sore from the effort and the attempts. So that's why I'm drinking today. How about you? Uh, I'm drinking to success. Uh, we actually just pulled off a fundraiser for our local nonprofit art center. And I'm very glad that it is underway and went off mostly without a hitch. So cheers. That is one cheers. thing I can put behind me this week. At first, I thought you said I'm drinking to excess. And I was like, get it, honey. <laughs> drinking to success. Um, so yeah, cheers. And if anyone's looking to buy some really great art that benefits a nonprofit art center, I'll give a mini shout out to River Tree Arts. Head on over to rivertreegallery.org and scope out a few of the pieces that are still for sale. A lot of hard work went into that. And that is why I am drinking today. And everyone can thank me for influencing Nicholas into the world of volunteering. He hates me for and reminds me of it all the time. I do, I do. I um, was never a volunteer person until Paul convinced me of the greater good. And now I am in it to win it, especially with this fundraiser right now. Yay, I still have to get online and look for shit. 
but I'll do time, I guess. I didn't do the auction. There really wasn't. The best time to shop for art is when you're three whiskeys deep. So feel free to go well, perusing after we hang up. That I will do. So tell me, tell me not about necessarily your, your injuries and your tired, sore body, but tell me about this uh, distillery you were teasing me with all weekend long. Ah, yes. So this weekend, while visiting my friends in Northern Virginia, we looked up, because they know I have this delightful podcast, and we looked up some places to go, and we found Copper Fox Distillery, which um, the location you want to is a Sperryville location, which is out along the uh, the Blue Ridge, Northern Blue Ridge Mountains, right, by Shenandoah. So it's sort of between, it's uh, about halfway between Front Royal, Virginia, and Culpeper. Um, so it sits right sort of at the base of the, the Northern Blue Ridge Mountains, right next to the Shenandoah National Park, Forest, whatever it's called. And that's sort of where we went. We went for a tasting. They were open. I think we went on Sunday. Yes, we went Sunday. And they were open for tastings outside, uh, obviously. So we went there and we did a couple flights. I got one flight and my friends got another. So I got to try all of the whiskeys, um, all of them. Uh, and we had a good time. And then we actually got a cocktail, a craft cocktail that was made there too. I didn't uh, experiment too much. Actually, none of us did. I got a Manhattan. My friend Chris got a Manhattan. My friend Ben got an old fashioned and they were all delicious. And for note, yes, the old fashioned was a little on the sweeter side for me as we've discussed in a previous episode, but this one was made in a more traditional way, which included a sugar cube and not simple syrup. So it was actually oh. uh, very good. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, I was jealous because I was getting your texts and your photos this weekend. So I was a little, little bummed out that I was not there, but you know, hundreds of miles away. Sure. Well, yeah, that's unfortunate for you. So let me just tell you quickly, we can talk a little bit more about the distillery in a few, but let me just talk to you a little bit about what I am drinking. As I said, I'm drinking the Copper Fox Original Single Malt. It's 100% hand-malted Virginia, uh, hand-malted Virginia barley. So it's made local uh, in Virginia. It is not, to my knowledge, a subject to corporate overlords, uh, which is exciting and a little bit of a twist, a little different than sort of what we've been uh, discussing the past several episodes. So this particular a single malt is uh, dried with hand-cut applewood and cherrywood smoke. So the interesting about this particular one and why Nick is drinking Oban is because this is similar, similar to scotch in the way that it has a smokiness to it because it, it uses, instead of traditional peat like is used in scotch, this uh, distillery actually uses fruit trees uh, and fruit wood peat, essentially, to sort of smoke their grain. Uh, this particular, partic particular, holy hell, <laughs> this particular um, single malt is double pot distilled, and it's matured in ex-bourbon barrels with infusions of toast to toasted, I can't even talk today, toasted applewood and oak chips. And we'll get a little bit more into that later, but one of the things that makes this distillery unique is sort of adding toasted applewood and oak chips into the barrels during maturation, which adds a whole different texture of flavors. Um, this particular bottle is 48% ABV and 96 proof. Yeah, I'm fascinated with the idea that they're adding chips to the barrels during the maturation process. Yeah. That's really interesting. And it's pretty tasty. 
so is I it, wouldn't have bought it otherwise, but yeah, solid point. So is it more on like the fruity sweet side, less on the smoky kind of PD side? I mean, obviously it's not very PD because it's smoked with fruit wood trees. Um, sure. So it has that little, it has a very light hint of smoke, but definitely has a fruitiness to it that a normal scotch wouldn't. And you sort of get that in, um, it has a little sweetness at the front, that little, you know, whiskey kick. But then the lingering flavor is, I guess that, that applewood flavor, if you will. I don't know what applewood tastes like, but I presume it tastes like this. Okay. Yeah, that's fascinating. Because this is definitely, in my mind, the Oban 14 is that traditional scotch. So it's a little bit smoky. It's a, it has a kick on the beginning end of it. And I feel like you said this in one of the first couple of episodes when you were drinking Oban, you talked about how it's by the water and it's still, it lends kind of like a saltiness to the whiskey almost. And I can't tell if it's in my head, but when I think the word salt, I can, I can sense that in the whiskey. Um, and then there's obviously the smoky sense of what's going on here too. So I'm really curious at some point to try Copper Fox, mostly because I want to see how the chips and the barrels impact it and how the different smoking process impacts it. Yeah. So the tasting notes on this one that I pull, you know, because I, as we've discussed numerous times, my palate is, how have I said it in the past? I have an immature, I was going to say immature palate. Uh, I think you call it a garbage palate. I, I did not call it a garbage palate. I think I <laughs> called it an untrained palate. Okay. I wouldn't call it a garbage palate. My palate is amazing. It's just not trained for whiskey per se. We're getting there. Uh, but the tasting notes, according to the website, which Nick will obviously include, links to all of this in our show notes. And just as a note for folks, our show notes are available on our website under the episodes. I just thought I would make that plug. We do have a website, whiskeyqueens.com. Yeah. And I do try and put all the, the high-level overview stuff. Um, but if we mention something that's not in show notes, feel free to message us, and I will gladly get you those links. Um, I do try to give you, like I said, the high-level overview of what we're talking about without putting too much fluff in there. Yeah. So the tasting notes on this one, according to the website, got to give credit where credit is due. Uh, it's actually probably on the bottle, too. Let me check. No. Uh, well, <laughs> I shouldn't say no too fast because I'm a, a You get your contacts in? Yes, I do. So on the nose, what it says to me is it's aromas of suede, olive tapenade, honey, and wood fire. As I told Nick, when I smelled it, it reminds me of the iced tea my grandmother used to make with Tetley tea bags. So I don't know that it's quite the same experience that we are uh, having in terms of the nose. So... Did you say olive tapenade? Yes. That is such a specific thing to state that you will catch on the nose. Like to yeah. me, that indicates like salty and rich maybe is what they're getting at. Um, but you're getting like black tea, loose leaf tea is what you're getting. Yes. I okay. Am. Yeah. Olive tapenade. That is one of the words. And I've started to go down the rabbit hole of like YouTube and reading through the book that we have and different articles and, kind of letting your mind wander and using an experience or a memory of something kind of like I did with the cowtail candy a couple of episodes back letting that kind of drive what the core fragrance or core smell actually is um, 
so it's yeah. interesting that you're getting loose leaf tea or loose leaf black tea and well, really they're saying tapenade. Well, sure. And you know, to each their own, right? This just, the scent of this reminds me of that particular thing. I don't know. I guess I told you my, in addition to my palate being untrained, my nose is untrained as well. And it's also totally subjective. Um, we've talked about like my husband's palate and how he can smell way different things than I can. Um, so I think part of this lends itself to how inexperienced both of our noses might be in this whole process. But yeah, I think all of tapenade is a bold statement to make. Yeah. So the palate, according to the website, is dried mango chutney and clay with silky dry fruitness in its medium full body. Now, I don't know what clay tastes like because I don't go around eating clay. Uh, I don't know about anybody else on the call, but I'm going to file oh, that under oh. earthy. I'm going to file that under earthy. Also on the call, like this is a fucking Zoom over here where we're having like 20,000 people listen, uh, you know, <laughs> hey, everyone. participating. Um, I don't know that I necessarily get the mango. Ch I don't know. I, I, I get fruitiness. Fruity. And I think that's totally fair. Um, and what I'll do is if I can interject just for a minute, I think this lends itself to conversations we keep having and keep coming back to. And it's kind of the concept of like, what are you tasting? What are you smelling when you're nosing something, when you're starting the process of tasting it? And there's a really, I'll link this in show notes for sure. There's a really great article that goes over kind of the standard whiskey tasting wheel. Um, and there's, a, there's one in our book as well. We've mentioned the book that we're both kind of moving through, which is The Complete Whiskey Course, A Comprehensive Tasting in 10 Classes by Robin Robinson, an amazing $18 Amazon purchase. Um, but they, they have a whiskey wheel in the book that has 19 overarching categories. The whiskey wheels I have found on the internet have about eight, and I think that's much more digestible for most people. Um, and what these things are covering is woody, whiny, cereal notes, fruity notes, floral notes, peat notes, fenty notes, and sulfuric or sulfury notes. And that's what I've been using to kind of guide myself when I'm going through a bottle and smelling and tasting is I'm trying to stay within those major categories. So I think it's totally fair for you to say you don't necessarily smell something specific, but you smell something fruity. For sure. sure. Now the finish, according to the website, is long and spicy with wood smoke, orange marmalade, marmalade on rye toast and root beer float. Now I'm sorry. Wow. I'm sorry. Now I can get some of that. I get the long and spicy. It's not as spicy as some scotches I've had. Uh, the, the, it, the kick is good. It's manageable. It dissipates in a, in a decent amount of time. Not too fast, not too slow. I like it. I can get the wood smoke, right? Because obviously, as we've discussed, uh, they are drying the grain with uh, fruit wood peat. And then they also are including sort of smoked or toasted uh, applewood within the barrels and oak. So you sort of, you do get that smokiness to it. Now, orange marmalade on rye toast. Tell me about this. Uh, let me take a sip. Okay, maybe, maybe at best. Um, again, untrained palate. So, you know, to each their own. I can sort of get that. The root beer float, not so much. I mean, in my mind, a root beer float is vanilla ice cream with root beer, right? Which I'm not, I, you know, no. You're not getting that. No. Um, but if I may interject for one moment with a quick story. So the yeah. last time I was at the lake visiting my friends at their lake house, 
I had an adult root beer float and it was amazing. The last time I had a root beer float, I probably had to be 10. So uh, they used the, so they used not your father's root beer, which is an alcoholic root beer for the root beer float. And it was delightful, as okay. I like to say. I'll have to go looking for that. Uh, the last sort of thing I will give on the tasting notes, which I think is sort of like the summary of it all, is they say it's smoky and complex, a unique distinctive flavor, brawny and balanced, uh, and that it's a great choice for artisanal, I'm gonna say artisanal, it says art, art whatever, cocktails and sipping. I'm sipping it out of a, a Glen Cairn glass. I actually bought a Glen Click. Uh, <laughs> You got this. I actually bought a Glen Karen glass at the distillery because I wanted one and I really liked their label because it's a very simple little cute little fox label. And I didn't have one, so I bought it. And that's what I'm drinking out of. And it's very good. And I can imagine, I can't recall, I think this whiskey might have been used in my cocktail uh, as well. And it was a great Manhattan. So I could totally see this being a good... Um, whiskey for an artisanal beverage. Okay. Did you get on the Oban 14, did you get orange at all? Girl, I haven't had that in a minute. I have some up here somewhere. Okay, just curious because I'm like, I'm like mm, mostly through my, my Glen Karen glass as well. Um, and I feel like I'm getting something else now. Um, but that's interesting. All right, so I need to get myself some adult root beer. And yes. It's interesting that they say it's a great choice for cocktails and sipping, because in my mind, a whiskey intended for cocktails is not a whiskey intended for sipping. So I wonder if it's, I mean, it's a distinctive flavor, right? It's yeah. that, that applewood smoke is so different than anything I've sort of had. And so it, I can see how it lends sort of a unique, uh, a unique complex flavor to a cocktail in addition to being good and sort of, you know, straight up sippa sippa. Yeah. So are you finding that like on a scale of one to like smoky as hell, how smoky are you finding that? It is not smoky as hell. As I've sort of discussed, I think in a previous episode, I am not a super fan of super smoky things. So this is actually really nice because I think it's the, Unlike the peach, I think the fruit smoke is a much more mild mm. uh, smoke and adds a degree of sweetness to it. So I actually really like this. I've had some scotches that I have not liked. Um, not the ones I've obviously featured on this delightful podcast, but um, this one I do enjoy. Okay. And I have been told the ultimate way to drink scotch I have a friend from DC who told me this a long time ago, and apparently the best way to enjoy a glass of scotch is with a piece of carrot cake. So I feel like that's an entire future experiment waiting to happen. Yes. In the name of science. I will eat carrot cake in the name of science. Sure, I also feel like uh, we can do one of two things related to that. That's either a great episode for when we're allowed to see one another, well, not that we're not allowed to see one another in person, but when it's more uh, easy to travel and see one another in person, I think that's a good sort of episode. I also really look forward to uh, traveling with you because I think, one, I want to go back to this uh, distillery with you because I think you would enjoy it when we can actually do a tour and all of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, and get to talk to, hopefully, uh, the founder, Rick. Uh, I don't think, I don't, 
he wasn't, well, I didn't ask because it was, you know, it's so weird to visit some of these places during COVID times where everyone's masked and you have to be outside. And I just find it not as easy to sort of engage with people in a conversational way. Mm -hmm. So, but he has a really interesting backstory though, doesn't he? Like he isn't just necessarily like an American whiskey maker who decided to do things this way. Sure. So I guess this is a great time for me to continue talking because this is the Paul show today. <laughs> uh, talking about the Copper Fox distillery itself. So a one sentence description um, of the Copper Fox distillery that sort of makes them unique is they're hand malted barley smoked with American fruit woods and aged with an innovative wood treatment. And we sort of touched on that a little bit. It's the, it's the toasted applewood and the oak uh, in the barrels as they're going through the maturation process. So this particular distillery was established in 2005 by Rick, Wasmond, I'm probably saying that wrong and I really apologize if I am Rick. Hopefully one day we get to meet you because you seem like an amazing person and very creative. Uh, but Rick opened uh, this distillery in 2005 with their first, they have two locations, but the first location was Sperryville, Virginia, which I outlined before sits at the foothills of the Northern Blue Ridge Mountains just outside of Shenandoah National Park. Uh, the other location is in Williamsburg, Virginia. So Rick, Apparently, according to the website, because I learned everything from the website, as one should, uh, but Rick apparently had a love of wood smoke aromas growing up and really grew to really like sing sing ugh, really grew to like Scottish single malt whiskey. And eventually he took a trip essentially to Scotland, sort of fell in love with Scottish whiskey, and then eventually ended up apprenticing or interning with Bowmore Distillery on the Isle of Islay. Uh, I believe that's how you say it. Mm -hmm. uh, off the western coast of Scotland. So Bowmore Distillery, just for a quick aside, is one of the oldest distilleries in Scotland. It was established as history sort of unfolds, and it may have established even sooner than this, depending on uh, information. But they've, they say they're established in 1779. Um, and okay, it is, wait, 1779? Yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's old. Um, they're obviously <laughs> the, the oldest distillery on Islay, and they're home to one of the world's oldest whiskey maturation warehouses that's been uh, in operation for over 240 years. That's nuts. Yeah, it's crazy, right? And they're also one of the few distilleries in the world that still malts their own barley. Okay. Now, the one caveat I will make is uh, Bowmore, for the longest time, tried to source all of their barley from the Isle of Islay. They don't do that anymore because their demand is far more than the barley can be produced on the Isle of Islay. So they import some of it from Maine, Scotland, hmm. right? But that's just a quick aside. Anyway, malted, malt, not no malted, uh, which is malting. So we talked about malting a little bit last time. Um, so with malting, it's this process that is mostly exclusive to using barley in your whiskey. Um, you're not going to malt most other grains, um, but it's the first step in the whiskey making process if you're going to be using barley in the whiskey. Um, and what it does is essentially they're taking the barley and they're putting it in this warm, damp environment, and it forces the barley to germinate. 
Um, and that germination process is what kicks off the conversion of starches into sugars. And usually at this point, the grain is using that as a catalyst to grow. Um, but over time, they will make the determination and abruptly stop that process by drying the barley. And that leaves the sugars completely or mostly unconsumed and then therefore available to the yeasts in that um, in that process where they essentially will now start to convert those sugars into alcohol or what they call wort, which is really the worst word sure. for anything ever. Um, so the malt is dried, um, ground up, mixed with hot water to dissolve the sugars and then fermented by adding these yeasts. So if I may interject. Yeah. Bowmore uses a floor malting process to okay. this day still. That is a skill that Rick, our dear friend who started the distillery, learned and implemented and still uses to this day a Copper Fox. Can you quickly touch on what floor malting is? I can, so Copper Fox still does floor malting. Correct, we'll get a little more into that, but yes, it does. Okay, so floor malting is the more traditional, it has like a three century history. Um, so floor malting is kind of like the standard method. There are more modern methods, but I'm, I'm not gonna talk about those tonight. Um, malting or floor malting, the wet grain essentially is laid out over smooth concrete and then left to begin germinating. Um, it's about a four or a five day process. Um, once the starches start to convert over to sugars, um, so they'll let it run for that kind of four to five day period. And every eight hours, it's someone's responsibility to essentially flip that malt over or flip the barley over to prevent it from rooting and forming what they call sure. a mat. So like a giant carpet of <laughs> malting. Or in modern barley. times, I think a lot of people who still do floor malting have sort of an automated. They do. Yeah. So with the traditional floor malting, this is being flipped with a shovel. Um, yeah. So a maltsman will essentially make the call when the right amount of sugars have been produced. And at that point, the grain is moved to a kiln. Um, so that's where they're applying heat to it to dry the barley out and stop mm -hmm. that germination process. When I was looking into this, interestingly enough, because I've been trying and waiting to pick up a bottle of this to drink it with you, monkey shoulder, which is a scotch, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is also a term used for someone yes. who essentially inherits a deformity because of this process and because of this type of work. Uh, so what happens is over time, having to constantly bend over and flip the barley, they essentially elongate their arm. So their one arm becomes much longer than the other and hangs a little bit lower. And it's a deformity called monkey shoulder, which is also now a scotch. That is fascinating. Yep. So there are much more automated processes now where things will flip the barley for you and they have sure. other different types of processes. But for now, that is essentially what floor malting is. So to bring it back to Copper Fox. So Rick, three years after his sort of training at Bowmore, he opened the Sperrysville Distillery in January 2005. And it marked the first U.S. distillery with a malt floor in a kiln since Prohibition. Oh, wow. Yeah, so this pretty fucking history, man. It's amazing. And that's why I wanna bring you there because I just think this was a really interesting choice that my friends sort of brought this to my attention. We decided to go to this particular distillery for this reason with the history, right? It's so cool. Um, so as I mentioned before, so instead of peat, like in Scotland, Copper Fox uses local fruit woods to smoke and dry their grains after the malting process, right? As Nick sort of outlined, is that right? It happens after, with yep. the kiln. The other interesting thing I really found uh, about this particular distillery is all the grains are locally grown by one farmer. 
uh, in Virginia. Wow. And that their six row thoroughbred barley was actually developed or was developed for them at, at uh, Virginia Tech. Oh, that's really that cool. So they're really knowledge. super tied into the area. Yeah, super tied into the area, which is amazing. And that's also why they're not uh, part of sort of the co corporate overlord structure as I, you know, in, in all my digging, I didn't find any connection to the corporate overlords with this particular distillery. This is an um, overlord free episode. Yes. So as I mentioned, as Nick talked about, um, Copper Fox still floor malts the barley. Uh, it's a traditional style, as Nick outlined, that Rick sort of learned and adopted and brought back to the U.S. after his apprenticeship at Beaumore uh, Distillery in Scotland, which I think is really fascinating because it's also not, from my understanding, about floor malting, it's also not the easiest process, right? Because you have to, like, it has to be a very controlled mm -hmm. environment. And yeah. I think it's much more difficult to control the environment uh, in floor malting than it is in other forms of malting. So are they traditional in the sense that someone is actually, like, is there any level of automation in this process or do I'm they have not, someone flipping? Barley? I'm not sure. I, I would, I'm not sure. Okay. I would presume it, there's some degree of automation, but I can't, I'm not entirely sure. That's what the joy of actually going there and doing the tour will True. be when, when we're in a, um, I was going to say a post-COVID, but I don't think we're going to be in a post-COVID world, a, uh, um, a world in which we navigate COVID in a very different space. Um, and we can actually travel more freely. Mm -hmm. Don't worry. I'll be in line for that vaccine. No questions asked. Boop. Me too. Um, the other things I thought were interesting in sort of my research was that this distillery uses double pot uh, distillation at a low 150 to 160 proof uh, with the purpose of enhancing the fruitiness of their spirits across mm. the board. That they mature as we discussed sort of their whiskeys with toasted applewood. And from my research and sort of their website proclaimed to be the only distillery in the world to mature their whiskey this way, with sort of toasts of, uh, with um, toasted applewood. I was gonna say chips, but it's probably more like chunks of toasted applewood in the barrels as it matures. Okay. Uh, and oak as well. Um, all of their products are non-chilled filtered, which I thought was interesting too, which according to the website and according to Rick, cause he sort of wrote this up, uh, allows the natural oils to provide a more rich and full flavor. Okay. Yeah, I'm excited to get my hands on a bottle of this. This sounds really interesting. I also just poured my second glass and added a drop or two of water to it, and I'm enjoying it much more now in the second glass with a drop or two of water. And this is the Oban 14 um, than I was. That's what I did. Yeah, I'm liking it with just a drop or two. It, Definitely, I, it kind of opens it up a little bit. It makes it yeah, more interesting. That's what I did at the distillery uh, in Oban when I actually tasted all this jazz. Hmm. You know, it's the first time I used the pipettes to do some drops of water. Um, maybe at some point, Nick, we can sort of, <laughs> I was going to say we can dive into the molecular structure and the influence that drops of water have on that, but that seems a little intense. It um, seems like a lot of science. <laughs> Yes. The other thing I just wanted to do, because I have the bottle in front of me, was read you sort of the blurb that they use for the maturation. So they talk about this particular, this is the single malt original American whiskey from Copper Fox. 
It says it's barreled with a progressive series of hand-toasted, select-seasoned, new and used applewood and oak chips inside used bourbon barrels and finished in a second used bourbon barrel, which is, uh, I think, a pretty unique process to this particular distillery. At least I've never heard um, in my limited batch of knowledge a distillery that's used uh, chips within the barrels to add an additional layer of flavor. Yeah. So how dark is that bottle? Because I'm seeing it. I have the privilege of being able to see the bottle zoom across the screen as we're talking here. So it's definitely on the darker side when compared to like an Oban. Like an Oban, I'm going to call that like kind of a honey colored, whereas yours is definitely, it's definitely more amber. Sure. It's definitely a darker color. And that may have, I mean, I don't recall off the top of my head, unfortunately, how long it's matured. But it also may be, if it's not like super, you know, obviously what we sort of discussed in a previous episode is that the longer it sort of sits in a barrel, traditionally, mm -hmm. the longer it sits in the barrel, the darker the color. So I don't know if it's necessarily that it sits in the barrel for an extended period of time, or if it's the added uh, chips that may enhance the color. Oh, that's really interesting. I wonder if it does get much darker because of that added, those added chips. And these are the things that I would love uh, when we tour the Sicilian in the future to sort of talk to somebody there about. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, because when I saw the bottle whizzing by the screen, I was like, that is a dark bottle of whiskey right there. And I don't, you know, I don't recall in my research how long it was aged. Yeah, we'll have to follow up on that because that I'm curious about is how long it was in the bottle. Now, it's a U.S.-based whiskey company, so there is no caramel coloring in that either. That is strictly from the process. True. Whereas true, even true. though mine's kind of just a goldeny kind of light honey color, there could be caramel in the oven. I'm not saying there is. I don't actually know the answer to that question right now, but because it's a scotch, you technically could add caramel coloring to this. Yes. So while I was at the distillery, I got to try all of the ones that are listed on their website. So I can't recall everything, obviously, because it's been a few <laughs> days. But that was sort of fun to have the experience of getting to try all of them. And they're all pretty good. I mean, some obviously I liked more than others. The one that my friend Chris really wanted to try was the Peachwood American Single Malt, which uses peachwood instead of applewood. Hmm. In, in its maturation process. Yeah. It was good. Okay. I actually like the original better. Okay. Uh, and I think Chris sort of came to that same conclusion. Fair enough. But I also like the rye. So there were a few bottles I was, I was debating between the original, the rye, and I also had uh, Belgrove 1797 whiskey. And this whiskey was with an EY. Um, oh, cause because a lot it, of their whiskeys are spelled KY. Yes, it's spelled KY because of the tradition that's used in producing the whiskey, right? Yep. It's using sort of the Scottish tradition. This particular whiskey is, I believe, 100% corn, um, or not corn, but it, it, it starts with a corn in it. So it's a little, it's different. Um, but I almost bought that bottle, but decided on the original because I thought the original was more unique. I shouldn't okay. say more unique because that's trashy. But... Um, <laughs> I felt like was the better purchase for, I guess, the whiskey queens. That sounds terrible, but true. 
Um, Fair point. But the Bell Grove 1797 whiskey has this lingering aftertaste of marshmallow. And I found it utterly fascinating. And I almost bought a bottle. And I decided not to buy two because Lord knows I don't make a million dollars. So I can't go around buying bottles of whiskey left and right like it's my job because I don't get paid to do this. This is a passion project. This is very true. But if you're willing to help Paul get to his marshmallow whiskey, do feel free to sponsor the podcast, whiskeyqueens.com, mini plug. There you go. Right. Although I do think I'm heading towards that bottle of uh, monkey shoulder pretty soon because I've now, it's come up in my research a couple of times now. That could also be one, depending on when you want to do it, Nick, uh, that we do similar to Tin Cup that we do together because I'm sure I could probably find a bottle of monkey shoulder in D.C. Yeah, and it's supposed to be on the sweeter side, from my understanding, versus the smokier side. And I've always assumed that scotches were all smoky, and apparently I am very incorrect in that assumption. So I'm excited to find something else. Um, but with your bottle, they don't call it a scotch. Do they, do they make reference to scotch in any way, shape, or form? Like a scotch-themed, a scotch-esque, or what do they call themselves? No, they say it's, an, it's a single malt whiskey. Okay. I mean, the, the KY, I think, is the homage to, uh, to Scotland and the Scottish, traditional Scottish style of whiskey, because that's sort of the technique that Rick brought back from Scotland and sort of uses to this day with the floor malting and all that stuff. And that's sort of the connection uh, to Scotland. Back to Scotland. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I do love that it's a KY whiskey, because my rule of thumb has been if it is Canadian or Scottish, it is KY. And if it is in the US or Ireland or Japan, it is KEY, is mm -hmm. my rule of thumb. So now this breaks the mold a little bit. Mm -hmm. So, so one, one other one that actually a lot of people drink uh, that breaks the mold too is Maker's Mark. You know, Maker's Mark is a KY. Oh my God, you're right, that's right. There is another US based one that's just KY. I can't drink Maker's Mark. Can't do it. Brings up yeah. some bad memories. Um, and maybe one episode will sort of go into that that history and what what makes that a KY versus uh, an EY too. Mm -hmm. Just as a note to folks, that is a KY. That is a KY. You are entirely correct. And let us know if there's whiskeys you think we should be trying right now. We do have a couple of suggestions from folks who have been listening that I will start to work down, but uh, definitely send us your recommendations if there's something that you think is interesting out there that we should be trying to expand our horizons with as we try to develop our palates and use more words than fruity. Right, that's the only word. I mean, I am fruity myself, so why not use the word fruity? It is a fruity podcast. I can give you a few more words. I do have, I sure. can exchange your vocabulary so this a little is, bit. This is a perfect segue to Nick's flavor wheel. I yeah, shouldn't which, say Nick's, it makes it sound like you developed. Nick I developed, developed a flavor wheel. No I'm one can the whiskey see my, genius. No one can see my air quotes except for you, Nick, so it's, it serves no purpose, really. They're there. Paul's air quotes are there because I am by no means a whiskey genius. Like I've said in the past, I do not have the best palate or the best nose, but I did find a couple of articles on uh, the internet, of course, uh, specifically whiskeymag.com, and then I will link to the other one because it's a, a longer URL, but a couple of really great resources just around that generic flavor wheel. Like I said, the one in our book has like 19 major categories and then it breaks out into subcategories. Um, the other ones you find online are a little simpler. So I mentioned the eight, the woody, whiny, cereal, fruity, floral, peaty, fenty, and kind of sulfury 
smells, tastes that you can pick up on in whiskey. Um, but it, to give you context for where those things are coming from, the woody sense, the woody um, tastes you're getting, the things like the vanillas are coming from the casks that they use. So typically they're going to be using oak casks and oak casks are what lends those vanilla notes to things. Um, the wood also helps round things out a little bit. So it kind of takes the edge off of really sharp flavors. Um, so it'll also lend color to it as well, which we've talked about. So you'll kind of get those softer tastes, you'll get the vanillas, and then you'll also get the color that comes from the wood. Um, similarly, with wine-based tastes, if you're picking up on things like sherries, those are going to be things that are coming from the cask as well. Because usually you're talking about a recycled barrel, something that had sherry or port in it previously. The wood absorbed those wine types of tastes and flavors and scents. And now that whiskey is in the cask, it's drawing those back out into the whiskey or into the spirit. So that's where you're getting those wine notes from is because it was most likely a previously used barrel. Uh, for your cereals, those are going to be the grains that are being used. So you're going to be able to pick up on the malted barley. Um, a lot of the times I will describe things because I love Ireland and I love digestive cookies. You're going to pick up on like digestive biscuits, those types of like plain cookie, plain biscuit things because they're essentially a cereal grain. Uh, with your fruits, you're going to be picking up on either fresh or dried fruits. A lot of the times in wine, you'll talk about stewed fruit fr um, tastes like jams and things like that. Kind of the same idea. You'll pick up on fresh fruits, you'll pick up on dried fruits, which are usually a little sweeter. Um, and then you have your citrus scents. Um, and they even go on to talk about how you can pick up on artificial things. Like some people can pick up on bubble gum, which is like an artificial fruit scent, which I find bizarre. I would not want to smell bubble gum or taste bubble gum in my whiskey, but apparently no. some people do. That's just not no. my jam. No, but I could get down with like no some coconut fry, some coconut scents in my whiskey. I could be into that. Um, coconut, coconut. So I oh, so never mind. Who, I was going to say on a side note. Go so for it. As we discussed in um, one of our episodes, two or three, I can't remember at this point in time, we discussed sort of our dislike of sweet whiskeys. Uh, and I, during this like weekend adventure, had the, we'll say privilege of trying two different types of peanut butter whiskey. And let me tell you girl, no, not my jam. Whoever loves peanut butter whiskey, more power to you, not my jam. Neither one that I had was my jam and, and no. No. Was one of them screwball? Because apparently screwball yes. is kind of the, okay, so that's like the big one. Everyone talks about peanut butter whiskey and it's screwball. The other one I'll have to talk to my friend Chris and maybe we can um, talk about it on the show. It's, it's a Tennessee one. It's like Tennessee smokehouse or. But they definitely Google come across it, but... more sweet than one would like. Uh than I would like, yes. You, would like. You, you can get the peanut butter taste, which is interesting. Um, I'm not gonna say I'm necessarily opposed to that particular part of it. I just don't like, as we sort of discussed, the sweet yeah. whiskey or cocktail. Like that's just yeah. not my particular, partic why don't I say particular like that? Particular, <laughs> my particular go-to, so. 
And I get that. And when I say coconut, like I don't necessarily mean like sugar dried, super sweet coconut, but sometimes like that hint of coconut or that hint of something kind of tropical fruity in the background of a whiskey is nice without having been like super overpowering. Um, but to put a, put to put a bow on this, um, you also get the floral scents. So things like fresh cut grass or flowers, or some people can pick up on perfumes in the whiskey. Um, Obviously things like peat, so that typically occurs during that kilning process where things are smoked or dried. Um, you get these kind of fenty scents and tastes. These are gonna be things like toasted things, honeys, tobaccos, which I feel like I'm getting on, the more and more I sit with the Oban 14, the more I'm getting kind of a tobacco-y thing in the background. Um, that usually happens during the maturation process when it's in a cask. Um, and then the last one is those sulfury things that no one really wants in their life. Uh, so these are going to be things that they try and get out during the distillation process. Copper kilns in particular are meant to kind of pull out those sulfur smells, those sulfur tastes. That's what the copper is kind of there for. It takes away all the bad and kind of lends some of the good. Um, you don't want sulfury, but sometimes you can pick up on sulfury in lower end whiskeys or whiskeys that haven't been matured as long or kind of went through a quick distillation process. Sure. So those are kind of your eight overarching categories. I find that much more manageable than the 19 that are in our book right now. Um, the one thing I think is missing, because I pick up on this in a lot of whiskeys, is a ninth category, to make it simple, for like spicy or spice scents. Because I pick up on like baking spices sometimes. So like cinnamons, allspice, or cinnamon, allspice, clove. Oh. And the rye, right? The, the rye. rye is the spice. Well, well not I think, the spice, but it adds a spice to yeah, it. Yeah, it adds a spice. And I'm not sure if rye gets filed under like grains and cereals or if rye would be considered kind of under the spice category. I would put it under the spice because when I think of like grains and cereals, I don't necessarily think of rye. The, the spiciness that a rye brings to a particular whiskey. Yeah. So I think the simplified whiskey wheel has to have nine categories, one that includes spice, because the 19's sure. a little too much, the eight's not quite enough. I want a reimagined simple whiskey wheel with nine well, categories. We got whiskey queens, baby. We We're can reimagine it. We can We're have Brendan, we can assign Brendan another thing and he can design a whiskey wheel. I hope that, he's or, listening. Or a flavor wheel that includes nine and we can label it like the Whiskey Queen's flavor wheel and people can use that moving forward because that sounds delightful. Yeah, so, like, so not to belabor the point, but some of the things they add in that 19 category whiskey wheel, you're talking about things like stale scents, primal tastes, sour or oily scents and tastes. And they're like, they're things primal. that I don't want it. Primal. Primal is categorized as and it's, again, generic categories that they made a whole separate category Girl, for. Girl, I don't know about primal taste, but I can... Yeah, I think if, you, if you're saying something is bitter or sweet or sour, you can categorize those somewhere else. If they're sweet, you're most likely tasting fruit. If you're getting sours or gross notes, it's most likely like sulfury or something else that was already represented in that wheel. I think we're being a little too, a little too much. Yeah. This yeah. whiskey wheel is at a 10. I needed it like a four. Sure. I yeah. need most things in a four. I do too. I fully agree. So just as a quick aside, because I did some quick Googling, uh, the peanut butter whiskey that I tried is Old Smoky Whiskey Peanut Butter Whiskey. It's the Tennessee uh, Mountain Made Peanut Butter Whiskey. Smoky. Now, does it Again, have a peanut butter and a smoky sense to it? Girl, I don't remember. I only tried it once because I was like, no. Okay. okay. Um, I mean, I would try it again. And if we... 
if we are ever in person in the future, hmm. I would love to get like a little, if I don't even know if this is possible because it's probably not, but a travel size bottle of it to try. Or we could buy a real bottle and I could gift it to somebody who I know likes it because I don't like it. There you go. Um, and we could try it and sort of give our uh, two cents because I know everyone wants to hear our two cents. They do. The, the listeners we have totally care about exactly what I think of these whiskeys. Mm. 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 I'm gonna ride that wave. You ride it. Yeah. So not to belabor tasting, but I'm going to encourage listeners to go through and regardless of what you're tasting, whether it's wine or whiskey, like think, think about what you're smelling, think about what you're tasting and see if you can start to pull out some of these words because that's what we're doing to try and expand our palates and expand our nosing abilities is just trying to see what memories pop into our heads, um, what fragrances are popping into our heads. Um, so yeah, I'm not using any of these said words, by the way, or at least I haven't. We're on the fourth episode and I've read like, 30 some pages of the whiskey book and I've looked at the wheel and I've listened to you talk about this and I've not used any of these said words. I use my own like Tetley tea bags from grandma's iced tea. And that's but totally okay. Start to do some word association. Yes. That's how this works. Yeah. And again, it's totally subjective. So if you're smelling tea and someone else is smelling fruit roll up, that is totally okay. Cause it's your nose and it's your palate. Not that I want whiskey that tastes like fruit roll up. That was not a suggestion. People who make peanut butter whiskey. Uh, but Although like, I'm sure there are people out there who would love fruit roll up whiskey. This is where I not get judging. One of them. Um, but I, I don't want to belabor our, our smelling and our palates. So with that, I think next week might be a, sh- a slightly shorter episode with maybe a different cocktail in hand, mostly because uh, you have some traveling to do and I have some work to do. So we might be a little abbreviated next week. Yes, but you'll all still love it because we'll be ourselves. Exactly. So I encourage you to open a bottle and pop a cork, whether it's in wine, whiskey, gin, vodka, etc., and let us know what you think. And uh, we'll catch you next week. Yes. Cheers, folks. 